This is the Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy podcast, episode 21 for Wednesday, the 27th of May, 2020. The SAP contact tracing app and other madness. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. My name is Fab. I'm coming to you as usual from uh, my study my sun-bathed study <laughs> uh, in uh, Hamburg, Germany, just off the runway, uh, just on runway 33 of Hamburg International Airport. Um, for a while yet, I'll be moving to Düsseldorf later in the year, um, but that that's a while off. I'm quite happy. It looks like we found a flat. It's a nice flat. It's bigger than the one we have here. It is also brand spanking new, which... Um, delays the move a bit and most importantly it has fiber to the flat just like this flat I love my wife she found that flat she's amazing it's like the first flat she looked at she's so good anyway um, welcome to the show today um, contact tracing uh, is in the um, title of the show so you guessed it I'm going to talk a bit about this the, the topic the one topic that you know, it has has become the uh, the center of everything, basically, in politics and all the decisions. And then with that, also um, at the center of, you know, changing our lives and changing uh, privacy. Uh, some, some are saying moving us to a post-privacy world. And we'll be talking about that. And that topic, of course, is uh, COVID-19, the... Uh, the novel coronavirus, although I don't think it's that novel anymore. Or as I like to call it, the Wuhan flu. I got myself a case of Wuhan flu. I don't know what I am supposed to do. Didn't know I had it when I gave it to you. Now we all got the Wuhan flu. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to the the guys at No Agenda, I keep stealing this this jingle of them, or, you know, of their producers. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk a bit about coronavirus today, about the um, contact tracing apps, about um, what's been happening generally um, in, in, in the social consciousness, I would say. Um, I think that is uh, generally important for the show. And then I have a somewhat long feedback section, which is... Um, you know, lots of boots on the ground reports. We've got, I got some very long emails. One's generally about the show and then two uh, boots on the ground reports from Canada and from Russia. And I thought uh, they were very important. So I'm going to read read them out in full, which will take it some time. So um, that that will be a significant part of the show today. So just, just your forewarned. Also, also probably rants. Um, because I'm, I'm fired up. I'm, I got coffee and I'm pissed off at the world, which usually leads to me ranting. Um, so without, without further ado, oh, uh, no, with, with, with further ado, before we get into the meat of the topic, I just wanted, to, uh, to, wanted to mention quickly that, uh, I looked at the, the statistics for the, uh, for the server that serves the, um, the audio files again and i'm not collecting anything special i'm just you know i don't we don't have any analytics on this 
uh, on this uh, on this server and, and I don't do any podcast analytics. It just counts downloads basically and hits on files and, you know, streaming um, connections and stuff like that. And, you know, with podcasts, it's always hard to tell if people actually listen to it. So all the numbers are pretty much inflated that are out there. But because everybody keeps <laughs> talking about their numbers, I kind of, you know, I, I look at the numbers once in a while and i saw that um it, it looks like from my i'd say trained eye of doing having done this podcasting thing for 13 years now um, i would estimate the show now has about 2000 listeners which is great and um i also got um i googled around a bit and found some interesting links and um so it seems like um this is not this is hard to really verify but it looks like the podcast was in short for a short time was in the itunes top 50 for politics podcasts uh, both in germany and in switzerland which is kind of amazing because they're both german-speaking countries and this is an english podcast but still you know there are lots of english-speaking podcasts in those charts always and it looks like a, a few people checked out the show simultaneously and it spiked and uh, that's great um, uh, if you if you if you're new to the show welcome i don't think i say this often enough but uh, welcome to the show welcome to the club um glad to have you and um, I'm, I'm pretty happy with all of this you know shows barely four months old um seems to be chugging along um the support definitely is there from listeners i'm going to talk about that at the end of the show um there's also some feedback on that um yeah so i'm I'm very happy i just wanted to mention that it's it's cool um as much as i love just doing podcasts in general and you know my the biggest impetus for me doing this is just because when i started doing podcasts over a decade ago at some point i figured out that's really fun i like doing it and that's the biggest thing but also i kind of have now that i'm a professional <laughs> at this uh, as preposterous as it sounds i guess i am it is my profession um i kind of feel like it's 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 nice if people are actually listening so I look at the numbers once in a while um but anyway now without further ado uh let's get into our first topic which is um i call it state of the madness um what i've I'm, you know looking around uh social media and you know mainstream media publications in the last week or two where I was kind of preparing, you know, thinking, okay, let's, I did a, the, the previous show on just another topic and I thought, well, let's look in at the COVID stuff again. And I noticed that, you know, in, in most countries now, the numbers are, um, are going down. The infection numbers are going down significantly. Uh, in Germany, certainly we now have under 400 new infections every day. Um, it's going down and um it's not only germany i mean many many other countries have that i mean there's there's exceptions of course the us uh, the uk currently i think uh, but um you know places are opening back up relaxing the restrictions but it seems to be that the fear <laughs> isn't abating at all uh, people are now afraid to go to work because they have to go to work again um, I noticed that the media is continuously still trying to write articles like, ah, oh, these many new infections, oh, somebody's infected here, look over there. That's still going on. I guess they still have hits for those, even though they don't get much money of advertising. They're still in love with the numbers. 
Um, <laughs> I just talked about numbers. I can hardly complain, but uh, it still seems to be there. And um, I also noticed that I think people are um, focusing on the wrong things. Um, I have two examples of that that I will go into specifically, but I feel like people are not concentrating on the actual problem. Um, I mean, this is, bear with me here, right? This is, this is very politics. And I, I, I know I said in the beginning of the show, you know, at the, the beginning of the first three episodes that this will also be a politics show. I will talk about politics once in a while. And I feel like this is important because even if you're only interested in the privacy and the, um, technological aspects, you need to realize that this is a very political, um, topic and even you know i study politics i'm interested in politics and history i understand many people aren't and don't want to hear about it and you know especially um techie people that are just interested in the technology and i i you know i respect that you know you're interested in whatever you're interested i don't want you to get, get into interested into politics but you know there is this saying i don't know who said it originally but there's this thing like if um if you're not getting involved in politics politics will get involved in you and um, i don't think i don't want to get you involved really but i think you need to be aware um about the things that are going on because if you have been reporting on technology like me for like 10 years or longer you, you notice these patterns and you know people will get you know something comes out um something's discovered and then they get mad about it and then they, they go back to to do to life as usual and then something else is discovered and they get mad about it again and what they what they don't see in this day-to-day -day news cycle is that the cause is the same the cause why these things happen is the same if you don't if you're only focused on the result and in this case it's like privacy violations right but you don't see that the mechanisms that are political mechanisms that are causing that if you if you if you don't focus on those, then you will just every ten, every five, ten years, you will get like these things that happen, and you get annoyed, and you're like, "What? Why the hell is this happening?" And if you don't do that jump, I think you're you're missing a big picture. And what I'm seeing here, so we had this lockdown, and um, I think it's the reasons why. These countries, lots of countries did it simultaneously. I think there were valid reasons, and I understand why it, why it was done, especially from a political perspective, because, you know, if you're the one in power, if you're the one in charge, you're also the one responsible. You're the one, your, your head's not literally on the line, but, you know, in in history, if you look at it back in history, you know, you, you want to have a good legacy. You want your name to be connected with the right things. And you want to be right that's why people get into politics right because they think they they want to shape the world after their thoughts and that this this um that that leads to certain certain thinking right that that leads to i don't want to be on the wrong side of history and if something like this happens uh you know better be safe than sorry certainly something that i can certainly understand especially if you have the responsibility 
whenever you you know as a grown-up person whenever you have um, yeah i don't have kids for example but you know i recognize that if you have kids and you have the responsibility that's why parents behave in life much different than i do as a as a as an adult because they are like i have responsibility for these children and better safe than sorry you know and i don't have that i'm the only responsibility i have is for myself and maybe my partner but we're both you know we are equal in a in a partnership so i don't feel like i have to be responsible for my wife and she doesn't need to be responsible for me i need to be responsible for myself right but you know if i if i go on a motorcycle and i'm you know i i i I ride my motorcycle somewhere, I realize there's a risk there and that's a risk I take for my own life. And then of course I've, you know, I've cleared, I've talked that through with my wife, right? We are in agreement that there's a risk, but we both accept that, that risk. And part of being in an adult relationship is that she accepts the risk that, you know, I could die and I accept that risk. It's different if you have kids. That's why lots of people, you know, as soon as they get kids, the motorcycle gets put in the garage or gets sold because they then realize, you know, I have to, I have a responsibility to my kids. I don't want to kill myself. And then they have a terrible life. I mean, I'll, I'll be gone. I don't care, but you know, they'll have a terrible life. And I understand that. And that's a bit like why politicians took these change, these, um, these, uh, decisions so i don't want to you know monday morning quarterback them here what i'm talking about here is not the actual decision in the moment and if that was right or wrong i think that's at this point is fairly philosophical that's something you know in 10 years you can you can start looking at it no what i want to talk about is let's look at what happened around that i mean millions probably billions of people were locked into their homes or you know not forcibly but basically you 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 took people's freedoms away to a certain extent depends on what country you're in and we'll hear about that later a little bit but you know you did that you 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 made people's lives miserable and this has consequences and what caused that like if you look at it there, there are several causes we had computer models um, that scientists made that were taken as facts that are demonstrably in inaccurate. We know today they were inaccurate. Um, we had, I've criticized this from the beginning, what I would say is was blatant fear-mongering by the press. We had in the beginning almost across the board journalists that didn't know what they were talking about, but were sure that this was dangerous and we also know now that it wasn't as dangerous as it was we can we can debate on how dangerous it was but it wasn't as dangerous as people made it out to be in the beginning and then the third factor was you know i'm not criticizing the initial decision to go to lockdown what i'm criticizing is after that we had obvious power grabs and i've documented them here on the show we had the police asking, you know just in germany asking for data they when they're not supposed to have um federal uh data protection officers or federal um, local data protection officers saying that this is wrong police still doing it we had this all over the place and you listen to the people you know you 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 listen to the show you write in i I, as I always say, I appreciate that very much. And we listen to, to accounts of people from other countries and they're saying it's happening everywhere, across the board, completely divorced from the question if that initial decision was, was correct or not. We did have 
um, politicians capitalizing on that, using the fact that, you know, the, the, the parliament wasn't in session and unilaterally deciding things. Um, and I've documented that on the show. So, so these are the actual issues. We have fear-mongering by the press. We have computer models that are, of course, they're science. But, you know, science isn't science doesn't equal science. There's science that is based on fact, and there's science that is based on computer models, which are basically glorified predictions. They can be right, and you can do a lot with computer models, but they're not facts. And they were taken as scientific facts. Um, and we had power grabs of politicians. But this isn't what people are um, focused on. You're focused on that because you listen to the show and you hear me go on about it because I think it's important. But what people are actually currently angry about is kind of like a big scam. It's like, oh, nothing to see here. Look over there. Look over there. Um what they're currently interested about is, I mean, I'm going to talk about that in detail a little bit, um, the UK, you know, this Dominic Cummings guys, guy in Germany, it's uh, our, you know, Drosten, our vi virologist that everybody loves, getting attacked by the press. And I'm sure whatever country you're in, if you look into your local press, you will find a thing that everybody's concentrating on. And what that is, is people are, they're not only afraid still. Um, I think they're getting less afraid, but they're still afraid. I think people are getting angry now. You know, people feel like their lives have been ruined for a while. People feel like, you know, and for good reason that, you know, they have, they have economic problems. They have job problems. I don't know about you, but I, I talk to people. I talk to my friends and I know several people now that have lost their job, uh, are afraid of being, uh, let go um, you know, where the company had big, 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 uh, either yeah, every, all the companies I know, all the companies I know have hiring freezes, but they actually laid off people and the, the friend or the, you know, was, was the person that was not in the team that was let go. Right. But their friends and their colleagues, some of them were fired. Um, we have that. We have small businesses being eradicated by large numbers. So there are people are angry about that. And they're angry about having to stay in their home, which is completely understandable. But they're being made by the and this is not only the press, but it's like it's the social um the sphere, right? The social sphere. It's like that's that's the mainstream press, the press everybody reads, uh, TV that everybody watches. You know, everybody has their local uh, primetime uh, news show. In Germany, it's Tagesschau. Every country has that. Those um, formative, me uh, you know, mainstream media gets gets misused and misquoted. And people are like, what do you mean by mainstream media? Whenever you talk about that. In Germany, we have this lovely... Um, term called light median it means um so median is media uh lights means like the um they're the they're, they're the media that forms the public opinion right and that everybody reads and those they're currently focusing people's anger on thing like things like dominic cummings and you know drosten in germany and i don't think that's a conspiracy Whenever I say something like, oh, you're a conspiracy thing. No, I don't think this is, this is nothing at all to do with an organized conspiracy. What it is, I think, is everybody who's in charge independently of each other realizing something. 
And what they're realizing is, and by in charge, I don't only mean politicians. This is also the press because the press is in charge of like, you know, forming the public's opinion. And what they realize is, is we've, we've gone so on about how dangerous this is and that we need to fight this and we need to curb people's freedoms and, you know, lock them in their houses and they have to wear masks now and all these arbitrary rules. Like you have, we're going to have, we have some listener, great listener feedback about this later. Like, you know, you can wear a mask there, but not there. And there you have, you know, it's a half, one and a half meter. And there you have, you have to be two meters apart. It's like all these arbitrary rules that, you know, if you look at them with a scientific mindset, make little sense. Um, all of this, they, they realize people are getting mad about that. They, you know, and they realize if, if, if it is now decided or if it, you know, if, if it's proven, I mean, stuff like this, you can't say it's right or wrong, but you know, if the public consensus swings to that, we did this lockdown, this lockdown wasn't necessary and we still did it, then we fucked. And I think everybody realized that and that everybody has something on at stakes, mostly their reputation. You know, for politicians, it's not like, you know, Merkel, by her own, I don't know if she's going to run again, but she was saying she wasn't running, so the current understanding is she isn't running, so she's got nothing to lose. The press, you know, they're not getting fired. I mean, but they have their reputation to lose. If you wrote article after article after article, how bad this is, and then we need to lock everybody in, and then we have some actual scientific studies coming out, and the, the public opinion goes against that, then you're, you know, you look ridiculous. You're on the wrong side of history. And I think it's all these people realizing independently, this is not a conspiracy. It's just how people work. People are... um centered on that on their public opinion right and when the dust settles and people realize that you know this lockdown was at worst unnecessary and at best you know justified by the wrong reasons and kind of pushed through against you know the moral obligations that both the press and you know politicians have towards the people they're supposed supposedly serving um, then they're looking really bad. And now what, what's happening now is something that you can see in history over and over again. You know, the winner writes history that doesn't only go for wars, it's the winner of the public opinion. And th things become facts, right? Even if there are not. So I'm, for example, this just off-the-wall example, um, I love submarines. And I've been interested in submarines ever since I was a kid. And I played like a submarine game called Wolfpack with my dad. You know, I've, I've watched every submarine movie there is, I think. Um, I currently, I'm watching this boat again because I love it. And I'm reading this history book by this guy, um, an American scholar, who's writing about the submarine, the German submarine warfare in the Atlantic um, in World War II. And there's this myth that the German submarine warfare in the Atlantic for the most part was successful. And that had it just gone a little bit, had it worked a bit more consistently in the beginning, had they had more U-boats, you know, had it gone on for a bit, they could have actually starved um, the, um, the UK and, you know, Hitler might have won the war. There is this conception in history by historians, um, you know, they, they've, they've wrote books about this for years, that, that this was a very successful part of the war. And it's just not true. It was a futile undertaking that didn't work from the beginning 
tens of thousands of people died, um, you know, only on the German side. I mean, not even to mention all the, the civilian ships they sunk, um, people that died there. And that's just this, this misconception has just been established in part by, you know, people who who wrote, you know, who were U-boat skippers, uh, German U-boat skippers who wrote books afterwards, did research, um, you know, pushed their opinion of the whole thing on the world, you know, in part just by people who, who whose opinion that was. And that that happens all the time. That happens everywhere. I mean, the same thing. It just there was a discussion the other week on Twitter. Um, it's like the the, um, the the consensus, especially by people in the United States, is that the United States won World War II. That's what gets taught in schools, apparently, over there. That's what everybody thinks. They think World War II ended because, you know, the United States joined the war. And, you know, dropped drop the bomb on Hiroshima or whatever. It certainly ended quicker. But if you read books on World War II, you will s soon learn that, the you know, the, the Soviet Union was overrunning Nazi Germany. The, the Russians were winning that war. They would have won that war in any case. It, it might have took two years, three years, four years longer. But the, the, the Eastern Front was not sustainable. The Second World War ended effectively when Hitler decided to invade the Soviet Union. That, that, yeah, but let's not go into history. But, you know, this is how history gets written. This is happening right in front of our eyes. You can see the people, and we don't even know yet. The thing is, I'm not even sure. I don't know. I don't know if this lockdown was justified or not. But you can see people cementing the opinion in the public mind and books are being written about this right now that you know this was necessary we this is the only way we're gonna fight that thing and you know it's it's amazing to me how that's happening it's not surprising because you know studies history but it, it is amazing and you know this stuff instead of the people who are angry instead of focusing on the laws the rules the the process that was being employed and the people who decided that they were going to lock them in the houses and basically tank everybody's economy with all that entails, they're not focusing on that. They're not focusing on the people who did that, why they did that, if that was right. You know, if the computer modeling was maybe complete and utter bullshit, they're not focusing on it. They're focusing on, like, the Dominic Cummings, who I didn't know who that even was. It's like uh, he's... Uh, apparently one of the top aides of Boris Johnson, maybe the top aide, and he went, like, when lockdown uh, was announced, he didn't, I think he did actually had COVID and he d drove, like, through the half of the UK to his parents or whatever, and then went around and went to some castle, and now he's excusing it. And it's like, yeah, the guy's an asshole. First off, he's a Tory. And it's like, what do you, like, elites not, thinking they're not beholden to the laws they make for the peons and the rules they make for the peons. You're surprised about that? I mean, you can be outraged about that. Yes, it's. I'm not saying exonerate Cummings. The guy should be fired. There's no question about that. But why are you, like, you're, you're writing about that in the press for days and days and weeks and months and instead of focusing on the actual issue. The question if this lockdown is working, if the science you based it on is right. And in Germany, we have, um, I think I talked about the, him 
before. Um, so we have uh, a Drosten, who is a he. he you know, he's a um, he's a former he's the foremost expert on coronavirus, probably in the world. His name's Christian Drosten. He is um, at the Charité Hospital in Berlin, and he uh, actually his team established the first test. PCR test for this virus, which people are, oh, he's he's so genius, which is like, well, it's he didn't invent a test, right? He established a procedure. He made the first essay. Um, it's great that he did that, and he did that earlier than the people in China. But you're like, it's like it's his job. It's not that. It's not rocket science. Um, it's hard to do if you actually do it, but it's like he's expected to do that. And who else would do it? There's like only three labs in Germany that even have like the, uh, you know, that that are supposed to work on this. There's one in Hamburg, there's one in Berlin, and there's one in Marburg. And those are the three labs that work on this shit. Like it's gonna it's gonna come out of either of those, right? Great. But he's an expert. It's great. Um, then he had a podcast. He's great. He's a podcaster. <laughs> and I have all these people who are like. I follow all these people I used to work with when I when I started there. I tried to explain to them like in 2013 that podcasting was great and nobody cared. And now they're, they're all doing podcasts like since, I don't know, a few months ago, they're all doing podcasts because now podcasts are important. And now, wow, look, it's a virologist on a podcast. Jesus Christ. Anyway, so that guy... Um, at one point in his podcast, he said he was in favor of closing down schools uh, and, and and you know, kindergarten, you know, childcare places. And he keeps stressing that he's a private person on this podcast, by the way, even though that's completely ridiculous. It's the podcast. It's like a podcast from a national broadcaster with the foremost expert on the topic who is now famous, literally famous. Everywhere, he's on every study. He's in in every paper. He's everywhere. Oh, I'm just a I'm just a, 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 a private person. I'm just a private citizen. <laughs> no, you're not. You're the foremost ex expert on a you know state sponsored broadcaster. In you know everybody's listening to you. Like the the German government, by their own admission, based part of their policies on his stuff. And now it comes out, you know, they're. I know there's a study there some of his colleagues who are saying he was wrong in that we d i don't know i can't i haven't had time to read that study i don't really well i kind of care but it's not it's not that high on my to-do list i don't care if that study is right but now it's like built which is a I might have ranted about that newspaper on the show before I certainly have on on previous podcasts of mine um the, <laughs> the, the the um so built was founded in germany as a um they looked at uh, the British yellow press, you know, the, the scourge of journalism, and said, we need something like this in Germany. That's literally how it got founded. And it's it's the scourge of journalism in Germany. They're horrible. But, you know, they're writing a story about this paper, which was published on a pre-publication, you know, on a preprint server. And they wrote Drosten, was like, can you, you know, please answer um, these questions? And he was like, no, I've got better to do and posted like their journalist, the journalist request on Twitter. So first of all, you don't do that. That's a asshole move. Then people don't understand journalism. And, oh, they just gave him an hour to respond. No, they, you know, that ultimatum is in there so that somebody responds within that hour. It's not like you have to have your answer finished. You, you get in contact within that hour. And then you say, God, I need to sit down and write something and, and give it to you tomorrow. And then, okay, Bill, maybe not um, not reply. You know, they'll probably publish the story anyway, but, you know. 
And you know, he didn't have to talk to Build. I'm full full in favor of people not talking to Build. Um but it's like it's an asshole move to post that and I've got more important stuff to do. Yeah, tweeting. <laughs> yeah, that's that's more important apparently. Um it's just and this is another bullshit story. Who gives a fuck? Seriously, who gives? I don't care. I don't care if the guy's pissing at Bilt. Is Bilt? This is it's expected. He's a public figure. He's one of the most um, sought-after public figures at the moment. And this is the yellow press. Of course, they're gonna shit on him. What do you expect? Why is this a story? Why is everybody talking about? It? What I want to know is why the, the the imperial model made by this Ferguson uh, guy is utter bullshit. Like if you, there's a whole um like series of articles on one on the Telegraph. This is like from from the middle of the month about you know this Neil Ferguson guy who, who whose model this all was based on. Of course, he was in the news because he broke the lockdown to shag his girlfriend. It was good looking, by the way. But you you're like, who gives the fuck? I don't care about that. What I care about is that his model was 16 year old code with like 1,500 lines of code in a single file that they had to get John Carmack in to fix before they could release it on on GitHub. And also, you know, it might be shoddy code. God knows I write shoddy code, and he's not a you know he's not an IT professional. He's a epidemiologist still, but you know. Um, but it was wrong. The model was wrong. They had to correct it three times. They had to correct the stuff three times. Even it, now people are saying, yeah, but the numbers in the US, he was right with the number. No, he wasn't because there's actually a timeline in the model, right? It's not like, oh, there'll be 100,000 dead and it doesn't matter when that, when that happens. No, they had a graph and the graph should have had 100,000 dead like weeks ago. The model was wrong. That is the topic we need to talk about. We're basing, we're basing decisions to shut down the economy. I was going to say I'm going to rant. I'm sorry, but yeah, we're basing decisions to shut down the world, half the world's economy, based on guesswork on a 16-year-old shoddy fucking piece of code. But my colleagues who are writing about this, they don't understand how, co how code works. They don't understand what GitHub is. They don't want to look at source code. No, it's much easier to, you know, talk about Cummings' trip to a castle or this guy shagging whoever or, you know, Bilt and Drosten getting into a Twitter spat. I don't give a fuck. You know, I'd, I'd rather talk about... If you want to talk about Justin, talk about things why he he's like... He's a public person now. The only reason he started that podcast is because he wanted to be in the limelight. That is okay. I have my own podcast. Why do you think I'm doing this? Because I'm an egomaniac. Anybody who does this kind of thing is an egomaniac. But I admit it, right? It's kind of so. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm just a private citizen. I'm uh, just opining on this on the podcast. No, you're fucking not. You're, you're fucking podcast. And it's about time podcasts do this, are doing this, to be honest. It's influencing the German government's position. It's influencing people having to stay at home and people, you know, losing their jobs because of that. That's what's happening. People being miserable. All these kind of, um, all these other medical procedures being put off. You know, people killing themselves because they have depression, because they have nobody to talk to. Like, just look around what is happening. I mean, I have neighbors 
we have very thick walls and i have i have literally neighbors who are like crying for hours in their flat and i don't know them i don't know what's going on and i can't really but i know something is wrong you know people are this is in this is influencing people in a bad way and that's a discussion we need to have but anyway one just last thing i want to say is about this thing the, the problem i see here is we, we're talking about the wrong things we're being distracted to talk about the wrong things and people are i think from a gut feeling trying to be on the right side of history i talked about this and they also i think this, the the other part of the coin is the other side of the coin is like social media where people um who are not politicians and who are not in the limelight just normal people like you and me on twitter and, and, and facebook are like my whole feed, I follow 5,000 people on Twitter and I'm, I try very hard to get out and I would follow more, but I'm, I'm not allowed to follow anymore. Um, if I, I, I try very hard to get out of my filter bubble. I follow a, an amazing amount of people from, from all parts of the political spectrum, people I don't agree with. I make it a point to follow people I don't agree with because I think I need to expose myself to their view, viewpoints to, to, to think critically, to do stuff like this show. And the whole feed, the whole feed, I mean, it's news articles and then from people, it's just virtue signaling. It's people trying to show how great of you being there and how compassionate they are and how, they, how they're wearing masks and how they support the government saying we're staying in and... And I'm not attacking these people individually. This is very important. This is, you know, it's 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 your private account. You can do whatever you want. But I just see this whole feed of that. And what comes to mind is the German term. I mean, people will get mad about this, but it is what it is. It's the German term Gleichschaltung. When the Nazis came to power, they and this was a you know, speaking of conspiracies, that was the conspiracy. What they did is they um they 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 enacted a plan to 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 create a totalitarian regime by making all public opinion sympathize with the nazis i mean it, it started with changing the national flag to the symbol of the party right they changed it from the reichsflagge you know the the prussian um you know the the, the the flag of the of, of Bismarck's Reich to the swastika. Um, you know they they took every they took over the press they took over education they took over everything party like um, private clubs everything everything was Nazified, and that was a um, a deliberate uh, one could say conspiracy on part of the state to do this, uh, but. That's not the only thing, you know, the, the only uh, concept of Gleichschaltung. We, what we are seeing right now is people voluntarily participating in this. Everybody is, is marching in lockstep in this one opinion. And the opinion is, you know, we, what the state says is right. We have to better safe than sorry. We have to protect these people, wear a mask, stay at home, and... It is, the problem is not that people have that opinion. People are free to have that opinion. I don't have an issue with that. But when everybody has that opinion, what you're seeing is you're seeing like the press 
posting on their Twitter, you know, people that are in the press, they're writing these articles, posting in their Twitter account, attacking people who, who voice different opinions. That is the problem. You're, you know, you, if you, if you have a differing opinion, um, if you say, I don't want to wear a mask, I don't think it helps. I don't think, you know, stuff like that. You, you're labeled as a conspiracy theorist. You're labeled, labeled as a Nazi, uh, as a Trump supporter. And I'm not making this up. I personally have been labeled all of these things. And it's not only about me. I've seen other people. I've, I follow a lot of people. There's some people with, uh, with con- the diverging opinions, right? And I've seen these people labeled all of that. And that is an attempt to be cowed into silence it's not a conspiracy it's not it's not a gleichschaltung by somebody by the state or the media establishment but it's everybody participating it's it's the, the gleichschaltung is just happening it's just happening because everybody's doing it and that is first of all it's sickening to watch uh, but it's also um extremely um dangerous we have to have this ability for people to voice differing opinions. That is crucial in a democracy. Without that, we can't have democracy. And just before I move on to the to the to the SAP app, as a, as a little side note, this is this is why this podcast is operating on the value for value model. This is why the only way to do this podcast is supported by you the listeners because i am voicing very contrarian opinions here these i'm I'm talking about things that are um that are not expressed by others in the media and you know i've been called people call me contrarian by by you know people basically say well fab is always you know that's the mainstream opinion and then he wants to be contrarian. That's like that's why he gets this opinion. And um, I can see why you would come to that conclusion. Um, that is certainly often the way it works. I don't see myself as operating on that. My thought process don't work like that. But who knows? You know, people are deluding themselves and all kinds of. Maybe that is how my brain works, and I just can't see it because my brain works that way. Who knows? Um, but even if that were the case, um, you know, I think it's important that that these contrarian opinions are voiced. And I can only do it here. I mean, I've worked for a big publishing company. I've I've seen how 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 it works, and I don't think it's possible to do something like this under an ad-supported model. I don't think that works. And the other part, of course, is, I mean, I, I, I am very, very, very cognizant of the fact, and it's very important to me, that this is what I call a true podcast. To me, if something does not have an RSS feed, it's not a podcast. And that's not, well, it is a little bit purism, and, you know, I'm old school. But also, this is, in today's world, is becoming more and more important. Because I have this website, right, that I generate myself, that I, it's more or less self-hosted. I talked about how, you know, I use Netlify or whatever, but that doesn't, I could change that in a heartbeat, right? Nobody can deplatform me. I am like, I can host this wherever I want. This is a static website. I could just do an Amazon uh, bucket and throw it in there and host it. You know, I could, I could, you know, if, 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 if all the companies are like, oh, we don't want Fab on his, um, on his, uh, 
on our on our system uh get him out of here i could set up a server literally here in my house with my fiber connection <laughs> you know i they, they cannot deplatform me and that's very important and if you have an rss feed nobody can deplatform you i mean this podcast is available on spotify it's available on itunes it's available on google podcast because i'm like to make it easy for people to listen but i'm not beholden to them um, and I, I will I will not have them influence what I say. And you see this, like you see YouTube deplatforming people, YouTube pulling videos just because they said something on there that doesn't agree with the opinion of the WHO. I mean, who's the WHO to tell anybody what what they're going to talk about? I mean, you can you can say yes, they are respectable body and they're, they're the good you know the good signpost for judging things yeah i would agree with that but they're also wrong they've been wrong in the past everybody's wrong and then they're not even my government you know they're not even from my, they're from the un they, they, they have no jurisdiction they're just an advisory body who gives a fuck why should they you know why should they uh, be be, be uh, the deciding factor if some some somebody's allowed to say something on the internet <sighs> It's it's a mess, but I'm happy that that I ch I've chosen this model. I didn't know this was gonna. I was just gonna do privacy port. I'm gonna talk a bit about that in the feedback section, why I also think this isn't could never have been ad supported because it's a privacy podcast. But <laughs> um, I didn't know that. You know, I didn't know I was gonna talk about Corona when I started the show. It, that wasn't that wasn't a, well. It was there, but it wasn't it wasn't a topic. It just all came together. And I'm I'm really happy I chose the value for value model. I think that is the way forward for independent journalism. I'll talk about that later a little bit more. But yeah, um, so I'm very happy you're supporting the show. But uh, let's let's go on with the topics. Um, let's let's move on to the SAP app. I think I've rented enough, right? So I talked about this uh, uh, earlier on the show, an early episode. Um, we have in Germany we had this. Uh, very early, I said we need this contract tracing app, and then uh, they there was this project called PEPPT, this pan-European thing, which I think is dead now. And the German government was like, "Yeah, let's use them." And I've talked about that and what their plans were. I've talked with uh, Jürgen Goethe, Tante uh, about this, and now PEPPT is basically dead. Nobody has ever heard from them ever again. And the German government has decided, well, SAP and Deutsche Telekom should do this, should make the app. And SAP has now. Uh, it's called the Corona Van app. Corona Van app. Van being German for attention, uh, danger. It's a danger app. Um, I think you know, having <laughs> watching the board re recently, I think uh, whenever you get a a warning about somebody having COVID was close to me, it should just go alarm. By the machine, Aka. <laughs> but it doesn't do that um we don't know the, the the code for the app itself isn't out but they have released um it's open source they have released the um the code for the backend server which is uh released under apache 2.0 uh which the app also will be it's it's written in java because this is sap but it's quite you know for sap they've been developing this really quickly and it's surprisingly open source and like you know open source by spirit and only by license. I mean, they use uh, Java, but they use Spring Boot uh, as the framework. Uh, they use Postgres, which is nice. Um, the build 
stuff is done by Maven, uh, Apache Maven, and they use Docker and something I'd never heard of before, which they also recently changed, uh, Zenko Cloud Server, which is which they use for like the um, data objects, uh, the the object storage. Um, so it's generally um, I've looked at the code. Um, it, it looks it looks solid. Uh, it looks solid, and you know it's it's as you would suggest, as you would think. It's a straight implementation of the Apple uh, Google API, and um, although they have some this uh, second thing they released, um, I, I wrote for about these the, the app. Um, I wrote two stories uh, on Heise about that, which I've linked in the show notes in case you you can read German. You you might want to look into that. There's a bit more details in there, uh, but I'm basically adding it. You know. Um, recapping it all for you here uh, which i hadn't written about yet um was the um and i don't know if i'm gonna be i'm just gonna probably write about it as a whole thing when the app comes app code comes out but you know they have a verification server they have now also released which is um that part doesn't have really have anything to do with the google api apple google api per se because that the google apple google api doesn't really care about that it says Right, you need to interface with your local health um, service, and that's what that does. Um, so they have a very German-specific. I mean, this app is, is all—it's all in English, like the documentation is in English. So they definitely like you know maybe some other countries want to use this, uh, and they they're gonna work to have like countrywide inter like interoperability to other countries because the EU said they want that for their contact tracing apps. Um, but the the the, the verification is very German specific, so um, this will link up to a so-called laboratory information system or LIS, which will be in the lab. That's proprietary software in the lab that does your COVID test. And what that does is, um, so the user um, can't just enter, "Hey, I've been affected." Infected. The user needs a go through a verification process that verified they've been tested positive. So they can enter um, a code uh, into the app. I think they scan scan a QR code and then it will retrieve their test result either from the lab that tested them via this interface with the LIS or via the health authority like the Gesundheitsamt, which is our local um, state and um, county level you know they they collect all this information on as I talked in a, on in a very early episode about these uh, diseases that need to be reported and then send that to the Robert Koch Institute, but it can also get that data and the user um the what well, the other way is like they give the user of the app like a tan and they will enter that tan and then they can kind of touch checks with the server and then it verifies that the person has been infected. Or had a test was tested positive, and then the user can decide. We we talked about this uh, in the Apple Google, you know, in a previous episode. Um, if you, by the way, I, I should have said this. Uh, PrivateCitizen.press has all the show notes on it. Very, if you're listening to this for the first time, very copious show notes. If you've been listening for a while, I'm sorry, I keep repeating this, but I think it's kind of important. Um, has all show notes on there and there's you know all the episodes it has tags so if you go to the tag called contact tracing you know up at the top of the episode there's like tags click on that it, it'll give you all the other episodes where i talked about this um 
and of course uh then the user decides right they they just need to be it, the app needs to be very needs to know that they were actually tested positive and then it's up to the user if they actually want to report this and as far as i can see this is all um solid um now the as i said the code for the app itself isn't available there is a problem that's already being discussed because um Apple and Google, the the API on the on the app uh, on the Google side actually uses the Google Play services. Google has apparently said that they want to integrate that deeper in the US later on, but for now it uses the Play services, and that raises an important issue if you're interested in open source, because that means the app isn't completely open source, and it also means that if you're using AOSP or an ASP distribution, so the Android Open Source Project, which doesn't have the Google Play services in it because they are proprietary. Um, you can have an ASP, AOSP uh, distribution where you can install the Play services. That is, for most of them, uh, it's a one-click process. It's op optional. But lots of people don't want that. A big reason why people use you know, the open source only Android is because they don't want the Google bits in there. Now, this tie-in for now, apparently, means that you can't use this app uh, so you can't use the API, the Apple Google API, if you don't have Android uh, Google Play services installed. Uh, and the app isn't open source. Well, it can't, the app itself, everything SAP wrote is open source um, and their contributors. Uh, but, you know, you, it's, it's, not, it's not open source per se. You can't use it without interfacing to proprietary code. Um, people are upset about that. I understand from a purist standpoint and like you know just somebody who's a open source license geek i understand why that is a valid concern and then important but you see i don't think in this case it's actually i mean if you believe we actually need this app which i don't i talked about that for 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 a bit also on previous episodes but um then i mean it's important to get this app out right now and you know that's kind of saying mid-june but there's no official word so i'm kind of feeling this we have less than 400 new infections every day now this app will most likely not be needed like by the time it's it's finished it's developed germany will probably be at the level where we don't need it anymore people install it anyway but um it's yeah i why i understand the open source complaints i don't think with everything else going on that is um, for me personally is a uh, relatively minor issue. Now, we had a report just today, breaking news on the BBC, that Google and Apple have launched um, this API. I can confirm that I have, uh, I can, well, I haven't installed it yet, but uh, I can download an iOS update that says it has that API in there. Um, and apparently the Swiss have already uh, have an app that they're testing. I talked about earlier in the show, previous episodes, that you um the swiss kind of can't roll that out because their parliament has said uh we need the government to draft a law and we talked about all these issues that were going on in the feedback section as well you know about um yeah the government can say it's um it's voluntary but what does that actually mean you know if businesses start requiring this it's not actual voluntary and they have all these issues that are valid issues that i think in germany for example we need to we need to have legislation about this as well 
Uh, but they're saying we don't need to have. I've, I have that. I, I find it. I find it. Uh, the 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 Swiss Parliament uh, is showing uh, actual, you know, considerable backbone with forcing the government to actually codify that. Um, I think that's very important. But the Swiss have now have the first app used on the uh, that that uses API that is out there that you can install. I think to test it. Um, now, just tightening a little bit back to, to my first topic here on the show um, about the media. So this story on the BBC, I read this, so they're reporting that this API is out. And on the same page, like on, on, the, on the sidebar, there's like all these other articles, right? And they're recommending me uh, another BBC article uh, that is titled Coronavirus, the Human Cost of Virus Misinformation. And the BBC, the, the beacon of truth, um, that of course fights uh, vehemently against misinformation. Goes on about you know how it's yeah there's these people and they get misled by all the Trumpers and the the conspiracy theorists and and then they don't believe that COVID exists and they think there's this all five G and they go out and they have parties and they infect themselves and then they get sick and then they die and they have like this guy who who, who used to be uh, I guess a conspiracy theorist who then got COVID you know um, all well and good. But in this article where they describe contact tracing, the BBC, I think, is spreading FUD. I don't know why. I don't know uh, about decentralized contact tracing. I think either they don't know what they're talking about, which I think is most likely, some some guy on the BBC, uh, Leo Kilion, probably doesn't have a, he's a technology desk editor, probably has no fucking idea and didn't spend the time that I, for example, and other colleagues spend in looking into how this works um, and just wrote something. Maybe he can, can't just articulate himself well or maybe they have an agenda. I think that's a less likely, but who knows. Um, but I think that he's in this, he's caught in this old uh journalism misconception we're like oh yeah it's, uh, we have to be balanced so so I'm, I'm talking about the google and apple api so i have to have a contrarian opinion right uh, i need to express a contrarian contrarian position in this article to balance it out which of course is bullshit like if you're you know if you're reporting on something and you have actual scientific evidence and everybody's in agreement about something and then there's some right wing or left wing or whatever nutcase saying something completely different the sun is not real it's a big lamp in the sky put there by donald trump then no you don't have like expressing the the actual opinion the the, the actual fact and then that opinion doesn't make your article balanced. It just makes shit. And that's the same thing that's happening here. Because, um, I mean, they're going on in the beginning already. Um, uh, you know, they then Swiss uh, have launched this app and Latvia is close behind. Uh, but then the US tech firms face criticism for their prescriptive approach. approach. And they're quoting something here. Um, a joint letter by German, French, Italian, Spanish, and Portuguese governments. Um, they're saying, quote, we believe that challenging this right by imposing technical standards represents a misstep and a missed opportunity for open collaboration between governments and the private sector. And that right is um, 
they're saying, uh, quote, the use of digital technologies must be designed in such a way that we, as democratically elected governments, evaluate it and judge it acceptable to our citizens and in accordance with our European values. And this is because some European governments want a centralized approach. Um, this is, uh, yeah, th this argument is valid. And, you know, you can have this argument when I'm saying, well, Facebook shouldn't, shouldn't censor somebody's video based on what the WHO says because that's not their job. Um, they are allowed to do that. You know, it just, you know, they're a private corporation. They can do whatever they want. Just as Google and Apple are allowed to do in their API whatever they want. That's how the law works. Um, it's right to say they shouldn't. Um, you know, with the with the YouTube example, YouTube shouldn't do that. If, if in my jurisdiction... Um, you know, the, for example, the government says you can't have Nazi symbols in videos, then it's the government's job to tell YouTube to do that. It's the government's job to decide. It's not the WHO's job or some other, some, you know, it's not some guy at YouTube who decides that. It's the law of the land. And the law of the land here doesn't say I'm not allowed to publish any opinion that doesn't agree with WHO. But, you know, on on the Flip side, of course, yes. That's why you say, well, Google and Apple shouldn't really decide that. That that is that is true. But the thing is, Google and Apple did something good here. I mean, we discussed this. Um, I discussed this specifically with Jürgen Goiter. Um, no matter where you stand, if we need this technology or not, it is clear. And Jürgen isn't wasn't isn't even a privacy proponent but it is clear that it's completely idiotic to do this centralized because you don't need to right you don't need to do that and it's an obvious privacy problem so why would you do that the the only reason you wanted to do that is if you if you actually wanted to degrade people's privacy and you had ulterior motives you wanted data and you know they say that like the, the bbc isn't isn't is they're just quoting these people they're not they're, they're spreading fear uncertainty and doubt they're mentioning that google's technology has certain um google and apple's proposal has certain requirements like you can't we talked about this on the show as well you can't um access location data but we're talking about indoor contact tracing with at most parts. GPS data doesn't help you. Even outdoor, you know, GPS isn't. I mean, fucking hell! You don't even need to be a BBC technology editor to use this. Have you tried the foot navigation with Google Maps? You do know that that's not like to, but correct by two meters. It gets the directions wrong. It you know it, the compass is doing weird things. You don't even need that data. It doesn't fucking work. God, just, just I'm sorry <laughs> if you're not tuning into the show for, for me uh, to hear rants from me. I'm 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 sorry, but it just just drives me. This drives this drives me insane. And this is why. I, I scoff about the media saying, oh, we're against misinformation. You're spreading misinformation yourself. You're spreading misinformation yourself. Maybe with other, you know, there are conspiracy theorists. There are people who are actively misleading people. There are idiots out there. Yes, that is right. But you're not the bastion of truth either because you're publishing idiotic stories and idiotic opinions that are based on your fucking journalists not knowing what they're talking about. And that is misinformation. This is why I don't like fake news. I actually think misinformation is a really good... Um, uh, term for that because that is the overarching problem you know sometimes you're talking about propaganda 
right? When you're talking about misinformation, sometimes it's propaganda by a government or by somebody else. Sometimes it's PR by a company who are lying to you or misleading you because they want you to buy their product or not buy another product, whatever. And and sometimes it's just plain stupidity. Sometimes it's just the editor. And you know, I've been, you know, I would never argue, uh, put myself on a pedestal like this because I've made mistakes. You know, I've, I've, I've misunderstood something and published a Heiser article on Heiser about that or on Golem or somebody else, some, somewhere else. And I was wrong. And in this, in this instance, I am misleading people. I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm correcting it when I find out. But in, you know, the, the, if you look at it objectively in the moment, I was publishing misinformation. I was publishing wrong information. No, divorced of that actual being. It doesn't really matter if it's malicious misinformation. That's the point. It's it just doesn't matter. It can do as much harm. This BBC article, which is read probably by millions of people who now think that that maybe centralized contract tracing is better than decentralized, and then you know th that does harm. So don't put your don't don't get off your fucking high horse. Get off your high horse. No! <laughs> yeah, and with that, uh, let's, let's, that, that was enough from me. Let's, let's, let's hear from you. Let's hear from the listeners. So today we have a, as I said, you know, kind of foreshadowed, we have a longer, uh, a longer uh, feedback segment with boots on the ground reports from um, Canada and the uh, and Russia. But before I have a, this is a bit inside baseball, so I'm leading off with that. Uh, although I, th I think it's interesting. So I received an email from uh, Frank Spompinato. I hope, I hope, I hope I say that right, but he's from Texas. So it's probably Frank. I can't do this. I'm, I apologize in advance. Frank Spompinato. Is that let me do my Billy Joe Shaver, Frank Frank Spampinato. I <laughs> I hope I did this right, Frank. <laughs> uh, Frank says I'm a long time listener, even back as far as Linux Outlaws. I live in Plano, Texas, which is great. I I have lots of listeners in Texas for some reason. You're not the only one. Like lots of uh, lots of listeners from the south. Lots I, well, the ones that write me. Uh, I got like got get a lot more emails from the from the south uh, than I get from the from the east or the west or the north of uh, the United States um, and you know Texas I've never been but I'm, I'm you know I I lived in Queensland for quite a while which I guess in in some respects is kind of like the Texas of Australia so I've always had a special connection I love country music uh, as referenced there earlier I uh, listened to quite a lot of Billy Joe Shaver. <laughs> Um, sorry. Cool. So um, I wanted to leave you some feedback on your current show, Private Citizen. I really enjoyed episode 16, Dealing with Hyper Objects. That was the episode with uh, Jung Tante that I talked about today as well. On it, you had a guest speaker and the, interac and the interaction between the two of you made for a, really, for a really good show. When you and Dan were on years ago, I always enjoyed listening to the two of you going on about something Linux related. It was always fun hearing you guys banter back and forth. Fast forward to even a year ago when you were doing Geek News Radio and interaction existed between you and your cohorts. You might consider modeling your current show like this and perhaps doing each episode in an hour increment. This will help to stay on topic and only cover the best material. Um, 
he continues, but I, I just want to address this because he continues with other points. Um, I understand. I love doing podcasts with co-hosts. Um, I, you know, doing Linux Outlaws with Dan was amazing. I loved it. I think Dan loved it as well. There's reasons it ended. There were good reasons. Um, it's not we didn't have a falling in case you don't know. It's just uh, we both felt the show had run its course and had gone stale. And, you know, we both felt we needed a break as well. Um, I also love doing Geek News Radio. Um, love talking to Mike, who's now a, a supporter, a regular supporter on the show, a uh, pro- regular producer. Uh, Dave, um, it was great. I loved, I loved talking. I loved doing, talking to other people and I love doing interviews. I will do interviews. This is, um, this is, yeah, I mean, we had two on the show so far. Um, they will be an irregular feature. Basically whenever, um, I find somebody I find interesting and they agree to be on the show, they will be on the show and I will have people who are contrarian on the show. I think that's very important. Um, so I will I will continue to do that. That having said that, this show and this is one of the reasons why I didn't create this under the, under the Six Gun Productions moniker because I wanted to separate this. This is a show made by myself, Fabian Asher. That's me, um, <laughs> and um, it's published by me for that reason because it's a I made um, I experimented before I started the Private Citizen. I experimented for a few episodes with other shows. Um, I settled on this as what I wanted to do, but they were all, this is all shows with just me. And there's a good reason for that. And I feel like I have to put out a regular show. I feel like the problem with Geek News Radio um, was that we'd had breaks. We couldn't get together to do a show. And in my current situation right now, and it's not so much about me, it's more about other people. Um, there is no other way for me to do this than to sit down and do it by myself. Um, part of that's me because, you know, I have a, a freelancer now. I do not have a fixed work schedule. I work whenever work arrives. Um, so I'm kind of flexible. I can just sit down and take, two, you know, take four, you know, prepare a show for, let's say it takes four hours to prepare a show, right? Do half an hour of preparing here, two hours there and, you know, one hour there, whatever. Um, and, then I can just sit down for two hours and record the show and push it out immediately and I'm, I'm and I'm done. And I can do that whenever I want and whenever I have a bit of time and I can juggle my priorities. And what you what you maybe don't realize is the the amount of overhead involved in doing a show with another person. It was different when I did Linux Outlaws with Dan. We were both like, you know, I was a student at the time. Um, Dan was uh, working at for a while and he wasn't working and it, it was... We had a lot of time on our hands and we had, we were very flexible with scheduling stuff. Um, in the beginning, we'd often do shows on the weekend. I now have a policy. I mean, the reason I'm releasing this on Wednesday is I have a somewhat of a policy for myself that weekends are for me and my wife. Um, you know, sometimes I'll do a show on the weekend, but generally I want that to be our time because we both work incredible hours. Uh, I work... 12 hours a day, 10 hours a day regularly. She works as much, sometimes more, um, because she's in research. Um, you know, science never sleeps. Um, currently, she is working two jobs at the same time. So we we barely see ourselves, uh, each other in the week. Like, currently, she's, like, in, in another city on the other side of the country 
for several days a week and we only have the weekend and we want that to be our time and so that's out and then you know you, you have to find somebody even now with me being reflexible i could make it work but you have to find somebody else who has a job probably like dave they've had a job right they they've 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 has a partner like wants to spend time with her um that scheduling that is amazingly hard and amazing overhead and that leads to you skipping a show a week and then you skip another one and then sooner or later the show just stops geeking radio just stopped because for a while we couldn't get together for shows and then we couldn't and then we couldn't uh, then it was it was just gone um so the only reason i've decided i even with the shows i did for myself i didn't force myself for a while like there's a reason i forced myself to do a show week and i said i'm gonna publish a show wednesday every week there will there be exceptions there'll be holidays you know i'll I'll be on the road and can't do it but generally i want to do a show and it will be wednesdays and if it's not wednesdays i'll publish you know two week publish one on tuesday one sunday something like this but that's the only way i can do this show and i can currently i can only do that on my own so it's not that i don't want to do it it's not that i think podcasts are best, better if i do it on my own this is a lot of work right i do the whole preparation when you do a show with two people and you talk for two hours you effectively only talk one hour i if i do a show here one and a half hours i talk for one and a half hours without stopping i mean look at the waveform of the fucking file i just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and, talk and, talk and that's hard work like you know try doing that <laughs> you think like i'm just waffling and renting and do i have lots of notes i prepare for this it takes serious preparation and you have to do this all on your own and that's also the other thing like if you do a show with several people it's a lot of podcasting inside baseball but maybe you want to start a podcast at a while so this is this is actual wisdom for you this is something you only learn when you when you do this for years you know when you do show um with several people and then everybody brings a topic yeah in, in theory that's great but then you know <laughs> let me put it this way generally uh in the podcast with several hosts will have one driving force we'll have one one guy and i i think i can claim i'm not claiming all the credit for the for the don't get me wrong right but like i was the driving force i was the guy saying we have to do a show this week when are we doing a show tell me a date we'll do a show and you'll have to prepare topics what topics are we going to talk about this is something you cannot do as a group. If you do project management, anything like that, you will know this. It's a creative process, the same thing as any other process. You have to have one guy. I mean, you can have two guys who are like this, but generally that won't happen. And um, for a while there with Linux Outlaws, definitely we were both like that, but there was a, there was a, at least I felt that way. That w- and this, is, this isn't hard feelings, right? I, i'm just trying to explain the process to you but for a while there there i was i was the guy pushing pushing and it takes a lot of energy and when you're doing it for your for yourself so you don't have to do that you don't have to interface with somebody else you can just do the show anyway continuing in what frank writes a good example for what i'm talking about is a podcast called podcast called the art of manliness or art of manliness on it brad mckay discusses a variety of topics uh, through in-depth interviews with authors and thinkers many of these writers are happy to get a plug for their book and this makes for a really interesting discussion with brad and the various authors 
he has on the show. You could probably do the same. Finding books written by various authors on the topic of privacy. You could be interviewing them and creating really rich content for your show. Well, I know I can do that. By the way, this model is, I guess, probably the Joe Rogan model. I think Joe Rogan uh, pioneered it and is the most successful at it. Um, in a way, I could do this I, and I will do this. Um, but you you need to, I mean, this is also a lot of work, right? You need to find those people. You need to read their books or at least read parts of it. And I'm, I'm happy to do this. Um, and I'm happy if somebody, you know, if I find somebody, you will, if you follow me on Twitter, you will like for years, you, you will see me ask people that other people would even say, well, they're way beyond Fab's league, right? Ask them, Hey, would you be willing to come on the podcast talking about this? And sometimes it works and I will do that, but that will not be the main focus of the show. The main focus of this show is me researching things and talking about it because that's something I can do dependable on a weekly basis. I cannot do this model um, like this Brad McKay guy does or like Joe Rogan because nobody knows me, to be honest. I have 2,000 listeners. If you go to this guy's website here, The Art of Manliness, they claim they have 100 million total downloads and 2.5 million monthly downloads, right? Joe Rogan has like 80 million listeners. Right? People go on Joe Rogan's show because they become famous. He had Bernie Sanders on the show, right? And then he had all the other politicians asking to be on his show because they will, they know they will be famous. They'll, if you go on Joe Rogan's show and talk about your book, you are almost guaranteed to be in the bestseller list of the New York Times or whatever. I don't have that. I have 2,000 listeners. And even if I get, you know, more i will never be joe rogan or that guy because i'm talking about privacy um i i appreciate what you're saying and i feel kind of honored that you put me on the same level as this guy but uh just just to be real here i will continue like and you know you're a producer on the show i appreciate your input i'm not trying to like argue you down here or belittle you or whatever i'm reading out your email not to ridicule you but because i i find it um, it's valuable input and I want to, you know, reply to that. Um, but, you know, if you have a suggestion, if people have suggestions, people to get on the show, I'm open to that completely. Um, just tell me about it before you contact them. Maybe it's my only request, but, you know, give me contact details. Are on private citizen press. It's always in the show notes and every show notes at the end of the feedback section. There's a link. Uh, it goes to fab.industry slash uh, fab contact. And, you know, I'm, I'm open for all of that. It will not be the, um, you know, like interviews in general, will not be the basis of the show and I will not make it the basis of the show. But, you know, once in a while, completely happy to do that. Love doing that. Love talking to other people. Frank finishes his email. Last but not least, I think you should get paid for your time and effort. Everything about your world carries some kind of cost and you should not feel bad about getting paid for your time. Consider having some advertising on the show. The donation model is going to be difficult to maintain. Figure out what is the proper amount of advertising and don't be like Leo Laporte. I'm a long-time listener of many of his podcasts, but I think the advertising has become too frequent. Leo Laporte is head of the Twit Network one of the pioneers of podcasting. Um, I'm a long-time listener from, of many of his podcasts, but I think the advertising has become too frequent. 
uh, and too long for my taste. But I do realize he has to make money and so should you. Find the right amount. Brad, Brad McKay seems to have a good balance. Have a l listen to some of his shows to get an idea of what I'm talking about here. Um, I appreciate the thought, but I think you, again, that there are misconceptions here. I'm doing a privacy show. I don't, you, you, you're saying um, the listener model will be difficult to maintain. Well, I'm not looking to make my salary of that. But I think it's the only way to do a podcast like I do. And I keep saying that. I, I do believe the value-for-value value model as pioneered by uh, Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak, who you know, who used to, if you watch Twitch shows, used to be on Twitch before you get kicked off um, for voicing opinions um, that Neo didn't approve of, um, is the only model for something like this going forward. And I am very, like, I'm I'm very sure about this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about that many things in my life, but I have a lot of experience in doing podcasts and thinking about podcasts and specifically doing these kind of niche podcasts. And if you listen to Linux Outlaws, you know what I mean. This is the same kind of podcast as Linux Outlaws. There are more people interested in privacy, but it is a niche topic. It's not Joe Rogan. It's not this guy, this guy talking about beards or knives or whatever. Um, there are, not, there are very few advertisers. That's the first issue. Like with Linux Outlaws, the reason we didn't have advertisers is I I didn't want advertisers. I didn't think Dan didn't want either because we're doing this as a labor of love. We don't want to burn money. We didn't want that hack hassle. But aside from that, we wouldn't have gotten advertisers. We got like one mention. Of, we got like one request ever, like the serious one. As I talked about this, GoDaddy of a serious company where there, there was like serious money. Nobody advertises on Linux podcasts. Nobody has to. There's only one company in all of Linux that makes money. It's called Red Hat. They don't need to advertise because everybody knows them. For a while, Ubuntu tried to, you know, they were actually advertising because they would try to be the new Red Hat, I guess. Um, but, you know, there's not a field where you will get, at, you will not get mattress companies. Well, you, if you're lucky, maybe you get forced what's the foursquare or whatever um but and if you actually talk to people i mean the reason why leo laporte has so many ads is because they're not paying well like he has he has a lot of listeners you know twitter has what eight hundred thousand listeners or something and you know that's a lot of bandwidth he has to pay and advertising they're not paying that much um i'm not i don't think this is it's not a model for me and then privacy is even worse who's going to advertise on this this whole podcast is just me ragging on companies <laughs> right i this is not like it doesn't work um now with brand safety you know you've you've seen the stories covid19 um people losing advertising left and right because on established news sites they don't want um they don't want their, their their stuff their brand be associated with something like COVID-19 right and I, I do a story about like cameras everywhere and the police nobody wants their brand associated with that I mean there may be a few privacy relevant brands but they're only a handful that's not something you can actually maintain stuff from then there's the issue i don't have as many listeners as these guys do and advertisers they want numbers i mean that's the way that's that that's the actual reason i think i need to do this listener support because i think that's the only way forward for all kinds of journalism because this whole this 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 
advertisers want numbers and so you're fixated on numbers and this whole fixation on numbers is what destroys journalism this is why everything i write about this is all by it's also shit this is why the bbc is shit right this is heiser was great it was a great place because i worked there i didn't have to care about this stuff but eventually it will catch up to people like that as well it is this shit you're just looking at numbers that's not how you should do journalism you should write about something because you think it's relevant or you figure found out something or you think the people need to know about that but that's not why journalists do what they do generally i mean yes the individual journalist might be but that's not how, how the whole how it works generally like and it's really hard to get through with that Heiser was a place where i could do that i would have never let anybody tell me to write about something because of advertisers but that's generally how it works that the people and even if they're not told outright they know kind of they want big numbers because you know they, they want to write something and that has the biggest numbers because you know then you're you're the top guy that's how humans work and i don't want to do that i i, I I was in that number game for a while and I was proud to write this. You know, I had years running where I wrote the most read story on Heiser. It happened several years. We talked about it on City Uplink every year at the end of year show. And I was on the top of the rankings quite a lot. But, you know, I, I figured out I don't want that anymore. I don't want that. That's not, I want to write. I'm getting too old for this shit. I'm getting too old for virtual signaling and I'm getting too old for this shit. I want to cover stuff that I find interesting. And, that's often not the stuff that advertisers will pay money for. And then the other, you know, they want numbers. You know what that means? I will have to track uh, who downloads the show, right? We had PodTrack on Linux Outlaws for a while. Um, you know, tracking basically who downloads the show because we were thinking about maybe, you know, and I wanted I wanted to figure out the numbers. I wanted to know that. You know, that was one of the, one of the reasons that it's one of the process where I figured out what, how unreliable numbers in podcasting are and to figure that out you need to do tracking at some point and i don't don't, don't want to do that for a privacy show right i don't want to do that i have no tracking on the website i work very hard for that and i don't want to have any tracking on the on the podcast downloads and i i am happy to not know the numbers um I just roughly know the numbers and know that i kind of you know i'm kind of somebody's listening and that's important to me and to me to to be honest the listeners that monetarily support the show they're more important as well as those numbers i know that if i have like 10 15 people how many people are there let me just get this wrong don't get this wrong one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen seventeen eighteen nineteen twenty twenty one twenty two twenty three twenty four twenty five twenty six 29 it's interesting podcasting isn't it 30 31 31 people for this episode of the podcast gave me money to produce this i don't it that doesn't even matter how much money that is so much as i know these people think the show is worth something to them and that's the thing it's i'm doing this for i do this show for 31 people and they're really appreciative of them that's enough for me but thanks for writing in i, I don't mean to be too critical um I just wanted to reply to, you know, I just don't agree with um, some of that. And I think some of it is just, you can't, you, you don't know that. Like, why, how would you, if, in case, if, unless you, you've done a podcast and done all this thinking yourself. I've, I've been thinking about these kind of things for, for 13 years now. Um, anyway, thank you for your email. Um, you know, I thought 
still don't don't want to be too critical i love it that you're writing in and you know i hope you're having you're having a good time in plano texas from what i hear they're not as draconian as we are over here which ah this sounds like a dream and it's warm there you've got good beef ah god sometimes i'd love to yeah you got guns you can just you know if you get too mad you could go to the shooting range and just fire off some some shots and you're you're good again enjoy life man (laughs) um i have a listener from canada and i'm saying a listener because this 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 listener slash producer of the show um decided to be anonymous i'm just listening to your fresh released episode and i thought i might contribute information for your next COVID update which is this episode this is one of the rare cases where i wish my name not to be attached to my words there you go. If my employer has taken hard stance that COVID, the hard, a hard stance that COVID will be the end of the world. Wait, wait, wait. COVID will be the end of the world as we know it. Um, and I'm not to speak otherwise. You're not to speak otherwise. Shut up, slave. Isn't it just great that our employers can dictate if you can have a public opinion or what that opinion should be? Um, I completely agree. This is one of the biggest that that even though I worked at a place uh, that wasn't draconian about that at all, you you always feel that when you work for somebody, and that is actually the main reason why I quit my job. Because you can imagine, as a journalist, your employer kind of dictate uh, not, not even if they're not directly, di- you know, you work in an environment, right? You as John C. Dvorak always says, you work in a milieu. Um, and you're in this milieu and um, people have a certain opinion you know they have certain um, certain things they hold true and if you don't agree you're, you're not being approved of and that is something that to do that at work it requires a lot of backbone and a lot, a lot of anxiety and that's a great thing when you just quit and you're like, as a journalist, that's important. Like it's important to have to have your own opinion and to be able to express it. And it was such a great feeling. <laughs> and to this day, to this day, I say something on Twitter like there's like an ex-colleague disagreeing, and then they're all piling in. You know, you can see. Uh, let me do a style banner here for a moment, right? You think I'm not seeing you? I'm seeing you, and they're all piling in, right? I was born on the internet, guys. <laughs> I've been doing this shit much longer than you know me. But then they're all piling in with the likes, right, on the one guy. And they're like, oh, we all of this opinion. And yeah, man, we need to fight fab on this. And it's such a great feeling to not care about that anymore. <clears throat> anyway, the, the listener continues. I am British Columbia on the western side of Canada. Uh, being that this is uh, reading a lot about that uh, right now, you know, the U-boat war. This is obviously where I, uh, well, that's more Eastern Canada, but, you know, Canada was greatly involved with the uh, convoying and stuff. Anyway, I'm British Columbia on the western side of Canada, being that Canada is physically massive and divided into federal, provincial, regional and mon- municipal regions. It is an understatement to say that things are different from town to town. In fact, things are different from day to day and store to store. They have started lifting restrictions in my area, but at the height of restrictions, they had ordered restaurants, pubs, bars, parks, schools, and personal services such as barbers to close. Kind of like in Germany. Many businesses started to encourage phone and email orders, and some provided delivery services or brought the products to their door for you. Restaurants typically 
still provided takeout orders but closed their interiors. Many businesses also shortened their hours. Some businesses really did not change anything and you could not tell the difference from any other day when you were in them. Ah, that didn't happen so much in Germany. That's more of the Canadian free spirit, I'm guessing. Some businesses built mazes and put arrows on the front. I love how this email is written, by the way. I just had to read that out. Some businesses built mazes and put arrows on the floor to direct traffic down set paths. And this is all the stuff I was talking about, which is like makes no fucking sense. And some businesses even stationed a person at the door. Yeah, we have that in Germany. To enforce hand sanitization or building occupancy limits. In Germany, there were stores where they enforced you take a... They, they, they regulated how many people could be in the store by um, limiting the number of uh, shopping trolleys they had. Right, They only had a certain amount and you had to have a shopping trolley. You had to wait outside to get a new shopping trolley. And it's idiotic. Then they disinfect the shopping trolley like this guy, but the guy is not like... Right, the guy is not like my wife, who's been instructed in laboratory techniques and knows what she's doing because you're working with. This is some dumb security guard right off the gym, right before he was standing at the store. He was just pumping iron all day, being bored and dreaming of being an MMA fighter, right? And I'm I'm positive, I'm very positive that this whole thing just increased infections because they just forced you to have this 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 shopping trolley that like a million people touched before you because everybody who's in the store needs to touch that and then they sanitize it a little bit but like not probably how you should it's just it's just amazing normally i wouldn't have taken a shopping trolley we just gone in there take, take one item gone back out now i have to touch this shopping trolley it's idiotic um anyway um so things no uh the listener keeps saying uh, to enforce hand sanitization or building occupancy limits. This is a lot of diversity <laughs> uh, of a practice, especially especially if you consider the town I live in only services about 10,000 people. You never know what to expect when entering a store anymore. Yeah, I feel like that as well. <laughs> There's some like, you know, businesses here who don't give a shit about you wearing a mask. But they, if they ever get caught, they'll be so fine. So much. There were people like, Oh, in Germany, the biggest scandal, like last week's, like the restaurants opened again and one restaurant did something I don't even know. They didn't, didn't obey the rules. And like everybody was in there. There's like 15 people in there got infected. Everybody got infected. And now they're all like, they're being, I think they're being criminally charged. We're living in a time. Just, you wonder why I rent about. We're living in a time where you're being criminally charged for going to restaurant. Just... Think about that. This is literally some shit. If, if like another country did that, and then the Nazis were talking about this in the Reich, Reich Chancellery, right? And then Göring would say to Hitler, "Look what the French are doing." Like or the Italians, right? What Mussolini is doing? He's He's forcing people to wear masks and uh, and and and, and finding them for being in red. It's like Hitler would go. What the fuck are they doing? I mean, this is such arbitrary, totalitarian police state bullshit. It's unbelievable. Anyway, <laughs> nice to hear it's the same in Canada. Um, you never know what to expect when entering a store anymore. Continuing in this email, uh, people responded to this very differently here as well. I work for an essential service, 
So do I. So I was am required to continue working. Management imposed mandatory face coverings and infrared temperature checks when accessing the site, along with the regimen of sanitization. Although the temperature is not a good indicator, as even the WHO says, but eh, who knows? Who, who gives a fuck? However, the people that work on site ranged from fearful to leave their houses all the way through to still throwing dinner parties. And this wildly diverse behavior seems to hold true across my region, as there did not seem to be any enforcement. That's a bit different, Jeremy. It was common to see people in the, on their bike or in skate parks or accessing the beaches. Yeah, the beaches thing is amazing, is that because that'll, you know, people are just hugging on the beach, right? That's what they like. In winter, when you walk along the beach, it's like it's like you, there's it's wind there. You're not getting infected by aerosols on the fucking beach. Um, there were daily soccer games at one of the school grounds, and I just drove past past a baseball game prior to the restrictions starting to lift. But on the other end of the spectrum, I know that some of the smaller communities in the surrounding area erected blockade, erected blockades to prevent people from accessing their communities and there is talk of the same people blockading one of our major highways to shut off, shut off the port city as well. What the fuck? There is like some zombie is that some zombie movie bullshit. Blockades. I have heard that the central province of Ontario has enacted fines for people being caught out of their houses and this has brought news stories of people getting fined for taking their dogs out of the house to go to the bathroom. <laughs> then more recently it has been reported that the easternmost provinces have enacted laws enabling law enforcement to enter houses and remove suspected visitors. <laughs> so some Gestapo level shit mate. <laughs> Christ. And Canada is supposed to be like liberal or libertarian or whatever you want to call it. They're supposed to be respectful of people, freedom, let's put it that way. Probably the worst story in Canada is how our federal government has dealt with this as it has been power grab after power grab. Our prime minister, Mr. Trudeau, ha has been in self-isolation now since the 12th of March. And while he continues to tell us to not travel or visit friends or family, he frequently travels to surrounding areas to visit his friends and family while continuing to isolate himself from his office. Next, our Prime Minister tried to pass an act that would give himself and his party unquestionable authority to tax spend uh, until the end of 2021. But this was luckily stuck down in Parliament. And their most recent act has been to prohibit, prohibit 1,500 guns. That ties into COVID since they did this without democratic process or a vote in Parliament due to having shut down, shut the Parliament down. Even if you, so even if you subscribe to these people's notion that this is the worst thing in the world, right? If you take that at face value, what did the guns have to do with it? Why are they legislating about like no are we are we the only guys asking this question? Why isn't the media why why is nobody who has access to the fucking press conference with the prime minister asking that fucking question? Don't you have anything more important to do right now? Like health policy? What do the guns have to do with it? Continuing in the email, while I'm biased against our current leader, well, it's understandable. I would not expect, accept, I would not accept these moves from any party in our country. Sounds like you're a reasonable person who can think straight. 
While I will not disagree that COVID can be fatal, I cannot express any faith in the numbers in my country. Where I am, you cannot get tested unless you are in a critical condition in the hospital. So the death rate here is more accurately the death rate amongst critical cases and not the overall death rate. If you combine that with the fact that we know many cases will not even have symptoms, I do not believe we can use these numbers for anything other than the media hype and frenzy. And then there is the classification of death. When we know that many people are now dying um, are now dying here due to health services being cancelled, are these non-COVID related deaths now? Uh, are these non-COVID related deaths now COVID related since they would ha not have died if COVID had shut down these services? Yeah, totally with you. As I said, you know, here in Hamburg, the uh, the the coroner saying, you know, I'm I'm not seeing anybody who who died of this, who just died of COVID. You know, um, if we report, if I reported any other death, like, um, you know, it's it's like I'm I'm getting, a, I have a guy on my table who died because he had a heart, massive heart attack, and that killed him, and then he also had a had four bullet holes in his gut, right? You go, well, this guy died of being shot. He might technically have died of a heart attack, but you would put them in the category of dying dying because he got four bullets in his gut, right? Uh, it's, I mean, the numbers, I mean, our testing is a bit different here, but like I, I, have, I have the same problem. The more, the more I look into this, the more skeptical I get. Um, you know, it's I, I go back and back and people harangue me for this, but I go back and back to the flu um, comparison because, yes, we know this is completely different from the from the flu. It spreads m much more, which means more people get infected, which means that even at a baseline same fatality rate, more people will die of it. That is all true. But I can you like as a person can think for themselves and who has watched what's been going on in the last few months and how they have tested and how everybody was focused on finding who died of of this like if you just imagine that that same scrutiny would have been applied to anything else to 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 the flu if we had if we had tested if we if we tested people who are who are dying of it right you'd think all these death numbers even in you know in the u.s and some stuff like that of the flu would jump massively if they if they could just concentrate it on it that much and i understand that you know why this happened and why the lockdown happened because we thought this was worse all indications everybody thought this was worse and it's it spread more but in the end it is still killing mostly old people with pre-existing conditions yes it does kill other people you know so does the flu so so do lots of other um other stuff you know there are certain cancers that 99 percent of people get it over 60 there's still people that are in their 20s that are dying of that but that's an edge case everybody recognizes that as an edge case here nobody recognizes the edge cases you know if you reason example the the New York Times made a ha made made their front page just the names of people who died of the virus, and you know, fair play to them. As I've often said, it's it doesn't matter how old somebody is who dies for this. It's a personal tragedy. It is a tragedy. Whenever somebody dies, it's a tragedy. But we're looking at societal impact here. 
and we need to assess the risk correctly. And if you look, the New York Times has a digital version online of that same uh, front page with the names. And if you hover over the names, you actually get the age and your job or whatever. And you go through, you go hovering. It's like, okay, this guy was 49. 89, 98, 92, 94. Okay, this guy was 60, 67, 78, you know. And yes, there's people in there who were 23, but most of them were over 80. And nobody cared until three months ago when an 85-year-old person died in a hospital. It doesn't matter. No, but, and there's thousands of people, whoever many people that are dying every day that are that age of something. You know, when they died of the flu, nobody cared. When they died of uh, multi-resistant uh, staphylococcus, nobody cared. Suddenly, it's like that virus everybody's concentrating. I don't get it. Anyway, the listener concludes. Thanks for continuing to report on this. As I believe there are few sources of reputable information, I think you're doing a great job filtering and compiling what is really out there. Thank you. I do really... This is a brilliant email. I thank you very much. So this is a typical example of somebody who's a producer on the show, you know, who's producing the show. It's great content, well-written, well um, very helpful. You know, you, you're the first guy writing from Canada. I had no idea what's going on in Canada. No, we all know. That's great. Um, as far as the information... I'm not claiming that this information is more correct than anything you read out there. I'm just trying to, um, I'm just giving my best. I'm just, I'm just looking everywhere I can, right? I'm not trying to live in a filter bubble. I'm actively trying to break out of my filter bubble. I'm trying to read everything I can and I try, I'm trying to give you the information and I'm always providing you, give my best to provide you with notes and links so that you can check yourself because I want you, you don't have to agree with me. I, I think it's great if you listen and then form yourself your own opinion. And that opinion can be different. Of course, it will be. You have different life experiences um, and that's important. Just think. Think for yourself. Don't just read a headline and then get outraged, right? Or just swim with the stream. See what everybody's saying and then agree with them and then virtue signal because it makes you feel like you're a better human being or because you're afraid or whatever. Think for yourself. Try to think for yourself. That's the main thing. Right. One last email from uh, Evgeny Gutznetsov. No relation to the NHL player we've established. Um, who is our boots-on-the-ground reporter from Mos Moscow, Russia. And Evgeny has written into the show before. This is where the NHL player joke comes from. Um and he has very good information always, and I, I value his input, so I'm going to read his email as well. Yevgeny writes, Though I uh, thought I'd write up a little uh, update on COVID-19 privacy-related and not so much related issues, I see around here. Disclaimer, I'm not a journalist, so my reporting is mostly anecdotal, based on what I personally see, what people that I personally trust share with me, and how I understand the legislation I'm aware of. I may be wrong about almost everything. Yevgeny, I appreciate that disclaimer. You'd be um, amazed to um, <laughs> if you if you work in journalism, you will see that most most reporting is actually exactly that. <laughs> the, the only other thing journalists often do is ask an expert, right? But you know, everybody you you're an expert on stuff. I think Yevgeny has a doctorate. 
um i think in psychology um he has a website yevgenikuznetsov.com i think i linked um one of his uh he sent me another thing and i'm gonna Yeah, no, Evgeny, that was wrong. Evgenikuznetsov.org. And there's a link in the show notes to the website. So um, also anecdotal evidence um, or anecdotal reporting. I, you know, I, I don't get why people um, bash that so much. I don't think it's... Um, so you have in, in typical um, uh, journal, journalism and, and typical people from that field um, will always say oh it's this anecdotal evidence and there's there's science and then there's anecdotal evidence but anecdotal evidence can be incredibly valuable like if you studied history um you um, you'll be amazed to see how much is historic um you know historical science is actually based on anecdotal evidence because that's the only evidence that survived of a certain event and then you have to know it's anecdotal evidence and you know that there's other aspects and you have to extrapolate blah 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 but that it's evidence and sometimes i feel like anecdotal evidence is at least evidence i mean sometimes it's hearsay right sometimes if somebody else but you know if you for example um you know somebody and you know they're telling the truth because you can verify that. It's anecdotal evidence, but it is evidence. It is a fact, right? And the people that are saying, well, that's not science. Science is over here. They're using computer models, right? That's not facts at all. They're using uh, guesswork and statistics. And we, Yevgeny and me had some discussions about statistics, so I know he knows what I'm, what I'm saying about that. So, yes, I think it's great to disclaim that, but I also don't think anecdotal evidence is as bad as people are saying. You have to be aware it's anecdotal evidence, and you have to be aware that there are many aspects of a story, and there could be many other um, differing facts. But, you know, it's facts facts are facts. You just have to... The, the problem is people can't, I feel, these days, can't um, weigh that. Right, they're, they're just oh, anecdotal evidence. This not isn't worth anything, and this over here is great because it's science. But you know, science is sci like science is. There's bad science. There's science based on questionable facts. There's science based on not facts at all. And there's you know anecdotal evidence that is idiotic, and there's anecdotal evidence that's really helpful. Anyway, I'm, I keep waffling today. Um, also, the previous listener, um, uh, Frank, who who said you know keep on topic. And uh, keep to one hour. Um, that that's another thing I want to answer. To I I am on topic. I'm, I have notes here. I'm incredibly on topic. I'm sometimes I'm going off on a tangent a bit, but you know, compared to previous podcasts like Linux Outlaws, I'm incredibly on topic on this show. It's just like the other thing I I feel like is the one one the one the one value of the podcast. Um, the one value of the uh, medium of podcasting is that it's not. Um, it's on demand, right? It's not scheduled broadcasting. It's not. It, I don't have to fill a time slot. I can do this as long as or short as I want, and that's the great. It's on demand. You can download it whenever you want. You can listen to it whenever you want. You can pause it. Um, so I feel like I do the show for as long as I think that's valuable. You know, you could be like, oh, he's waffling for two hours or an hour too much. Sure, it's how how long I think. I just talk for as much as I want to talk, and then I don't talk anymore. Um, anyway, uh, Evgeny continues after his disclaimer. Remember how I wrote about the need of individual of an individual part? No. R remember how I wrote about the need of an individual path linked to your car's license plate to drive around Moscow nowadays? Turns out a lot of people didn't have 
valid individual passes. That's a, a message he sent a few episodes ago. Um, turns out a lot of people didn't have valid individual passes linked to their plates and got fined. That was rather expected. Every fine has a unique ID and Moscow has a website where you can enter that ID. What could possibly go? and pay the fine online as soon as the valid id is entered you can see what the fine was for and who was fined including name address passport number etc here's the hilarious part according to recent reports by the press the website in question has no countermeasures for brute forcing the fine id the fines id not even a capture so essentially we have a person the personal data of everybody who was fined publicly available. I didn't try to brute force that website, so this info is purely press-based. Told you I may be wrong about things. Well, I don't blame you. Judging by the laws over here, that would be illegal, and I don't, you know, as much as I um, value your feedback, don't want you to get arrested. <laughs> Especially because I like your feedback, and I'd like you to be able to write in. Also, we now have an isolation control app. People that have been tested positive for COVID-19 but don't require extensive medical help are given an option to install it on their phones. Register in the app and confirm their location by making a selfie within the app when requested. Sounds like the Singapore app. Or that uh, one is in South Korea, I think. Presumably, the app also sends the geolocation data. So as to prove that they are staying put at their homes. Otherwise, they are required by local Moscow legislation to stay at a hospital and be observed, which kind of makes sense from an epidemiological perspective somewhat. Yeah, well, actually, it does make sense to put the ones, the people who are sick in quarantine. That's what quarantine means. Just we turned for the first time in human history, we turned that concept on its head. Um, but I mean, that what you're talking about there was exactly what, what I discussed when I talked about, you know, something being... Um, voluntary um, you know by the letter of the law but not actually being voluntary right if you if they say to you well you've got two choices you can install the app or we'll block you in a hospital room right people will install the app yes it's technically voluntary but it's not really voluntary um, there are pressures being exerted on you. I'm also told that you can request to be provided an authorized authorities issued device <coughs> FSB <coughs> FSB um, instead of installing <laughs> they ship it in a box directly from Lubyanka <laughs> um, instead of installing the app on your own one but i don't personally know anybody who was given such a device and i have yet to find the legislation to confirm this uh, yeah it's probably people are afraid to get a phone from the government the app is closed source and i've seen no reports of it having any security slash privacy audit but maybe i didn't search hard enough yeah i'm guessing it do it anyway the app exists and people are kind of forced to install it i mean i told you about how like the bsi was going to check the app and i had a press thing and they canceled the press thing right <laughs> you know what that means um yeah the german app <laughs> this means they had to check it what it was horrible <laughs> the app does indeed demand regular selfies sometimes half a dozen of those <laughs> in 10 minutes as my colleagues who got infected working at clinics inform me that's not I don't want to laugh about your colleagues being affected. I do kind of laugh about this selfie every 10 minutes. Uh, the security and privacy related implications of this whole app on your device are perhaps worth a separate discussion. Yeah, probably. Um, God, I, I'd, I'd love to get more details on this um, app. You know, if you have stuff, 
send it to me. I'll, I'll, you know, as far as I can translate it from Russian, I'll, I'll give my, you know, with, with, <laughs> with deep L. I can't, I don't speak Russian. Um, you know, but if you're willing to help, whatever, I'm, I'm happy to do an episode on that. Um, again, I haven't seen the app or its code or those. Uh, um, so those are just guesses, but I definitely wouldn't trust an app coming from the Russian authorities to be secure or privacy respecting. You know, I would, I wouldn't trust such something like this happening coming from the German government, you know, the Russian government. I find it kind of hilarious that that database was, was <laughs> apparently so easily hacked when Russia, you know, out of, outside of Russia, or I guess probably inside of Russia as well, is just like world renowned for the hackers. <laughs> Yeah, obviously for for propaganda reasons, but yeah. (laughs) Um, The social networks are boiling with complaints about how this app is buggy as hell, how failure to register within the specified time frame because of bugs, relates and fines automatically being charged. I really don't want to laugh, but it's kind of funny when when you're not in that position. How failure to send a selfie within a very short time frame due to bad connection or bugs in the app results in fines automatically being charged. How it can't be made to work properly even on those issued devices, but the fines come steady anyway. I have no means to verify any of that all i know is there are reports and he links them um, of authorities explicitly stating that no single fine was falsely charged due to the app's problems <laughs> of the withdrawal of the fine that a disabled professor who cannot leave her bed anyway let alone her apartment was charged with because the app couldn't ins- wouldn't install on her phone of the same professor receiving another fine almost immediately after withdrawal of the first one these are funny times we live in, and I'm personally blessed to be living in one of the funniest countries of these times. Evgeny, I I appreciate you writing in. You wrote in back in the links out lost days. I always appreciate your emails. Um it's I don't hear often from people out of Russia. And you know, it's it's in many respects a very, you know, country is very close. Um as somebody who studied history, you know, Russia and Germany have been always kind of tight. Um together like geopolitically and if we weren't it never went well for germany um and we were against each other and i find this very valuable i also love the i mean i i don't know many i know uh, you know a few of my friends um come from russian families or you know like second generation uh russian immigrants or something you know mostly they went over uh during the soviet times and you know settled in germany um i i love their sense of humor <laughs> it's 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 great um also like how this this is so dystopian like the whole defiance thing you know you you think this is this just sounds like something like the Soviet regime would come up with, right? This sounds like a, just a big scam to collect fines. And then like the whole Kafka-esque thing where like you can't install the app, but if you don't install the app, you get fined and you can't even, if, like you don't have any legs and you can't leave your house, but you're getting fined because you can't install the, it's, ah, uh, uh, it's so bad. But Yevgeny, seriously, you're looking at this whole thing the wrong way. You know, I think you're looking at this thing all wrong. Don't think isolation. Think paid vacation. <laughs> that was Lieutenant Ben Creek from Sequest, but could have always also been a Russian official. Yevgeny <laughs> um, also uh, wrote some thoughts on his blog on the previous episode, um, where he reflected a bit on uh, 
basically the possibility of a post-privacy world, which I've linked in the show notes, um, which are on his website, uh, yevgenykuznetsov.org. And um, very, very nice uh, to see people, you know, thinking about the stuff I talk about and and very valuable. Just wanted to quote, like, basically his ending of that uh, post he wrote, uh, where Evgeny says, If privacy is indeed going to vanish anyway, I think it's time we embrace the fact and started learning to live without any illusions. Trust a mental mental health professional, it's much easier that way. If, however... There is a way to revert the trends and keep our privacy, or at least some of it. I would really like to know what that way is. And now I personally can make sure I do all I can for us to follow it. I don't know what that way is, but, you know, in in many cases I'm a realist. But sometimes, in very select areas, I'm also an idealist. This is why I started Linux Outlaws. That's why it was called Linux Outlaws. And I'm an idealist in starting this podcast. I do not believe, you know, I talked with yeah, Jürgen Goethe, uh, Tante didn't really want to talk about that topic on, on the show. Maybe I'll get him on uh, one day. I would love to. It was such a great episode. Um, and talk about him. You know, he's, he's known as a post-privacy guy. And I would love to talk about that because I will not back down. I believe... You know, I don't, I don't want to get into the discussion of privacy. Human is a human right or whatever. I, I still think it's just, you know, I, I think it's part of civil liberties. But I also think it's a human. It's not something that we just acquired uh, during, you know, the Renaissance or something that's now going away. It's not like something, you know, like stuff we had before the the industrial revolution and it's going away. I think it's a. Uh, it's a human it's a it's a factor of the human psyche uh the need you know not to be completely private but to be private in some way sometimes with some things you know to be kinky in the bedroom you know to be to be a private citizen sometimes you know the thing drosten wishes when he says he's a private citizen on his podcast um i think we want that and I think it's worth fighting for. I don't know how we're going to keep it in face of what's happening at the moment, um, in face of what's happening with technology, um, with the just a, a generation, as I feel it, of people that just don't care anymore, where, you know, we have a situation like this where the government says, well, your health is on the line. Obviously, your privacy doesn't count. Um, and people just saying, yeah, okay, right. You're right. You're right. Um, I don't know, but I think it's, it's worth a fight. And uh, the whole reason why I do this podcast is because I'm in that fight and I want to put myself in that fight and I want to fight, I want to fight that fight and it might be hopeless. You know, I might be, oh God, I don't have soundboard for this, but I need to get like the speech from, you know, from Mal, uh, in serenity, uh, speech at the end, uh, that ends with, um, I aim to misbehave. That's basically it. You know, I'm I'm a troublemaker with these things. I hold some things um true. Um I'm writing that down. Well speech. I'll put that on the soundboard. Play that at some point. Um you know, 
I aim to misbehave. They want us. They want us to give up our privacy. Silicon Valley uh, entrepreneurs and and politicians. But I aim to misbehave. I'm gonna I'm gonna fight that fight. Um, yeah. So thank you, Yevgeny, for for writing that email. I thought, as everybody who wrote in, um, even you know, there's there's stuff I don't read out, but it's all valuable to me. It all helps. And thanks for that. And, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, earlier or maybe much about Inside Baseball and funding the podcast. And um, I think I think the the only way I can do this, I can continue um, to fight this fight is, I believe, with your support. And I am... I'm at the moment not in a position where I need to live off this, but it's it's part of what I do professionally. And um, therefore, I feel like it's also fair um, if I get some compensation of it. And I think I also it's also a bit idealistic. The other the other way is I'm not only am I fighting that fight with privacy. People are saying journalism is dead and the news are dead. And I don't believe that. I believe much like people desire in their heart and have always desired privacy, people desire news. And even before the newspaper existed, people want, you know, gossip. People want to know things. They are they want to know what's happening. And this is why I think journalism will never go away. It will change, but never go away. Um, so that's that's something I believe. I do believe it needs to change and I do believe we need to, to, to make it better. Um, we need to get people to understand that they need to pay if they want, you know, if they, it's like everything else, if you want quality and to a certain extent, you get what you pay for. There's things that are free that are great, but generally um, as a, as a system, as the backbones of a system, we need to establish that we need to pay. You pay for, you know, you need, you pay for your entertainment. And that's that's just optional, really. But you know, people are not used to paying for their media, like for their for their news anymore, for like the stuff they need to understand the world around them. I think that's just normal. And I feel like I don't want to put a paywall any anywhere. I want this to be a real podcast with an ISS feed that's accessible to anybody. And that's why I ask you if you derive any value from this. You have ways of giving that back to me. I have a Patreon account. Link is on privatecitizen.press. You can PayPal money to producers at fab.industries. Um, and, you know, contact me if that's not the way it works for you. If you want another way, I'm I'm going to give my best to make it happen. Um, and that's a value for value model. If you derive value from this, you can give it back. And you can also give value back in many other ways. Um, you can write in boots on the ground reports. You can write in other stuff. You can give me suggestions you know, of interview partners, people get on the show, you can give me feedback like that saying, you know, get more interview partners on the show. It's really helpful. Um, all of this is, yeah, that's my message. And you know, I, the downside is I keep repeating that every show, but it's kind of, it's kind of par for the course. I'll try to make it a bit fun. <laughs> I think it's more fun than whatever I would do otherwise. You know, telling you about how you need that Casper mattress or whatever they're advertising right now on podcasts. I, I didn't even know what a Casper mattress. Like Dave told me about this at one point. I didn't even know. Um, <laughs> I would like to thank people because this goes both ways. I've been thanking people, but um, there are 
you know, Bindmark is a entity I need to thank. We do not have sponsors really, but Bindmark has been for years providing me with the service that I serve the auto files form. And that is a big part of the show because if I had to pay that, it all would be a loss proposition. <laughs> so Bindmark is at bindmark.co.uk. They're great. They're a hosting company. They're a local business. Nice guys. Um, they supported me and Dan, you know, 6M Productions really from back in the day um of linux outlaws and um you know I've, I've come a long way and now i'm doing this show with their help which which i think is great um i also would like to thank raul kabazali who wrote the um and recorded the theme music acoustic roots that i use for this podcast i think it's great so you should check out more of his music and then i would like to thank everybody who's um you know pitched in with a patreon subscription or just by sending money via paypal and those people are niall donegan michael mullen jensen jonathan m heavy judges walther dave eric g potter test rashid alimani butterbeans kai sears um, mark holland steve hose shelby kruver fadi mansoor vlad matt jallyman Joe Poser, Jackie Plage, 1I11G, IKN, Dave Amrish, Philip Klostermann, Dirk Didi, David Potter, Vitautas Sadowskis, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Mika, Jonathan Edwards, Barry Williams, Sylvia Vulcan, and SJ. Thanks to all of you. I appreciate it very much, especially in those days. Uh, these days, I know that many people have money problems right now. I know that the future is uncertain. Um, so it's to have like a Patreon subscription, somebody, some, some random guy in Germany who does a podcast in those times. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, yeah, that's it for me. Um, I have another episode in the pipe. I just don't know. It's just so much to do right now. I just don't know if I get it recorded this week, but we'll have more shows. There'll be more shows. Until then, keep fighting the good fight. And aim to misbehave. I'll I'll see you soon. I I was I'm I'm Fab, reporting from Hamburg, just off runway 33 of Hamburg International Airport. Aim to misbehave.